crafted an RC airplane. We'll share tips and tricks on how to build models and talk about successful flights, epic crashes, and everything in between. Visit us at rcplanelab.com to sign up for our email list and to ask us questions. You can also text us or leave us a voicemail at 818-351-9846. Please help us out by rating and reviewing us in your favorite podcast app. Thanks for spending time with us today. Now here are your hosts, Ron and Tom. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the RC Plane Lab podcast. I'm Ron. And I'm Tom. Hey, so we actually made it to the field last weekend. We did. And uh, holy smokes, the bees. <laughs> oh, the bees. Yeah. These things are, they were ridiculous. So these are the little sweat bees that kind of yeah. come up and just, they don't bite. Well, I shouldn't say that. They didn't bite um, me. I don't know if they bite or not. Well, I think they, like as a defense mechanism, I think they do. do so they? like I did some reading on on the internet, on the interweb about it. Oh, yeah. You're, then, you're a doctor on it well, now. Well, I wouldn't say it. Entomologist, maybe. Okay. <laughs> uh, uh, no, not really. But, Dr. Tom. Yeah. So they're actually called hover flies. I guess they belong to the fly family. Really? And they actually, according to this couple of articles I read, they don't actually bite. But I beg to differ. Do they sting? Well, no. Wait, they're not a bee then. No, they're, they're flies. They're in the fly family. So they lick you, you know, when they're trying to eat whatever it is that's on your skin. They're after the, the sweat and salt or whatever. Yeah. But like, like I was at the, I got there, it was before you got there because you got there shortly after I did. Right. I'd been there a grand total of about a minute. <laughs> and like one of them landed right here in the crook of my arm uh-huh. and I didn't notice it. And I bent my arm to like open the door or something. <laughs> and the gosh darn thing did whatever it did and... Yeah, and then I had a welt there for the next half hour that itched like a son of a gun. I did not know that. Yeah. Like, yeah. I knew they were annoying because I tell you oh what. I, so when you were flying, it was kind of funny. I would literally stand <laughs> behind you. what that looked like. <laughs> <laughs> like Pigpen from uh, yeah. from Snoopy. Well, I was, I was thinking maybe the gyrations I was going through trying to keep the dang things off me. <laughs> well, no, I was standing behind you and like literally like swatting them away from your feet as you're <laughs> sitting you. there flying. Well, I was trying. Um I didn't plan it, but I luckily enough wore long pants, yeah. so they weren't bothering my legs. Right. Uh, but my arms and face, oh, it, oh, was, the face. it was terrible. It's yeah. one thing to have them like landing on my arm and, and your finger. Like they get on your fingers and they'll get in between them and then you can feel them <laughs> crawling around. It's like, ugh. But yeah. on the face, it's uh-huh. just, oh, so, so annoying. It was really annoying. So that cut our trip to the field short. It did. Um, yeah, we would have stayed probably quite a bit longer because of... Overall, it was, you know, the wind was kind of cross runway, but we can fly in that field kind of to the south, right? which is fine. Um, but yeah, the bees were just terrible. And the wind was not bad. Right. Um, but the, yeah, the worst part, you just could not keep the bees away from me. I was actually hoping for more wind to keep the bees. I'm yeah. sorry. Are they, they're not bees then? I've called them sweat bees well, I've, forever. I've called them sweat bees my whole life, but they're actually called hoverflies. Yeah. No, I'm going to say sweat bee. Yeah, me too. I don't like hoverfly. Yeah. Well, because the dang thing bit me, so that, you know, that's a bee, man. <laughs> well, bees sting. They <laughs> well, don't bite. Well, stung me then, okay? There you go. But yeah. no, so that, that made the whole experience not fun. However- It really did. It did have some, uh, there were some upsides to go on that day. We did have some success. Some success. We did have some success. We, uh, I was actually very proud of my son. So a As couple weeks ago, be. yeah, a couple weeks before that, uh, he had one of his friends over, the one that really wants to try and get into flying and stuff, and- so I ended up getting him set up on our on our simulator. Mm-hmm. He had never really used a transmitter, you know, to, to fly. He's right. done it like on the PlayStation and stuff. And the sticks. It's a little this, different. Yep. Yeah, it's not the same at all. He did a pretty good job for never having done it before. So I'll give him that. He sure. he really didn't know what to do. So I ended up setting up the uh, the simulator to do just landings. Okay. It's very handy to learn how to do landings with, or, you know, with a with a simulator because. It will constantly, like after you land or crash, it will put you right back in the air on oh, your final approach. Like on a re- like a, on a continuous loop or whatever, you complete one, it sets you right back at the Yeah, the so approach as, as or whatever. soon as you land and stop, or yeah. as soon okay. as you crash and, <laughs> and stop, right. it will just put you back up in the sky a certain distance away. And you can right. tell it how far, how high to make it more difficult, you oh, know, if you have neat. to try and get in faster or something like that. To where the only thing you really have to worry about is just coming in your approach, keeping your wings level, and then yep. getting that flare down. So we were working on that, and then Cody decided that he wanted to uh, to do that a couple times. Now, he hasn't flown for probably four or five years, yeah, it's honestly. Been a while. It's been a long time. And he was getting a little bit cocky. Uh-oh. I mean, he's like, oh, this is so <laughs> simple. So he told me when we went out to the field that he was going to try and fly it by himself. 
And I was like, all right, okay. cool. You know, mm-hmm. we'll, we'll see what, if you feel comfortable doing that. So the plane he flew, and you'll have to tell a little bit about this because it came from you. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's called a fun one. Yep. Made by great planes. That's all I know about back it. Back in the day, yeah. And was that a, that was a kit? It was. Yeah, it was a, it was a kit that was relatively easy to put together. Um, back in the day, you know, before 3D was, was, you know, kind of the, the aerobatic thing, uh, fun flies were, were the aerobatic thing. So you built airplanes that had really thick airfoils that could fly really slow. And some of the, you know, contests that these fun flies were like as many loops as you can do in a minute or as many takeoffs and landings as you can do in two minutes or whatever. So these airplanes were designed to be kind of, um, kind of aerobatic, but really mostly able to do things at a, at a slow speed. So they had thick airfoils, uh, really basic construction, short moments, like the, you know, kind of short tails or whatever. But yeah, it was built from a kit and I, I, yeah, they're great flying airplanes actually. Was that one you built? That is one I built. Oh, well. Many, many years ago. (laughs) So anyway, this is one that, you know, we did a bunch of trading many moons ago. A few years. And that's one that that came with Probably 2012 or 13, something like that probably. Most likely. (laughs) And so I flew that airplane pretty much right after I got it from you. And that, from the very beginning, that was going to be Cody's airplane. Like he knew it. We even put his name on it, stenciled Mm -hmm. it on and all that kind of stuff. Oh, yeah. Well, at that time, he had his uh, that Firebird Stratus, that little dual oh, motor, yeah. that nice, nice, easy, fun fly, like learning to fly airplane. Yeah, there's a picture of it right here in our studio. Oh yeah, there it is. Um, but anyway, so he had that one, and that's kind of where he was uh, skill wise. Mm-hmm. And so after we got that one from you, I went out and I flew it by myself at the at the field. Well, it scared me, like not scared me, like it was too fast, but it scared me for him. Does that make sense? Uh, yeah. It was yep. way too fast, right. way too aerobatic for him. So Started to rethink about him flying it. And I, I told him that. So we, we shelved it and it has sat since then. Yep. Well, I took the motor off of it for something else and all that because he was not interested in the hobby at all. Well, now that he's kind of interested in the hobby again, um, I ended up, I think it was, a, is it a Sato 50? Yes. So yep. I have a have a Sato 50 that was a just... really loud Sato 50. <laughs> well, that Folks, came from you too. So you tell me okay, what happened so, to the exhaust. So the Sato 50 has a muffler on it, which when uh, you got it for me, the muffler was complete. I don't know. Uh, about but that. the end cap has actually been blown off of it or, or whatever, drilled off of it or whatever. So that it's just an open chamber exhaust and it's almost acting like a resonator, like it, it amplifies the noise that's coming out of that thing. Actually, what is that the motor that was on the katana? It may be. Yeah, I think it is, actually. Where did the Golden Knight Sato come from that I had? Was that from you, or was that somewhere else? What size is it? It was a 72 or an 82. That didn't come from me. Okay, I might have bought that one at the hobby shop then. Okay, so then this one, yeah, this motor came from you. So, yeah, if this one was on the Katana, there's a good chance that the muffler got broken in the first or second crash. <laughs> okay, I, I never thought of that. Actually, no, if this came off the Katana, it's a 65 then. Because that's what was on the Katana was a Sato 65. At any rate, it's the loudest Sato engine I've ever heard. Well, I like the sound of it. But anyway, okay. <laughs> um, but anyway, so yeah, that was just one that I had in the box because, you know, Katana crash bad, all that kind of stuff. And it, it hasn't been used since then. Kind of like I, a duelist bucket. I, t- <laughs> I told Cody to go ahead. We can use that motor, you know, and, and we'll put it on that airplane and stuff. Actually, his, it actually flies it pretty good. It, it does. But to his credit, I mean, he did almost all of that work by himself. I was down here with him and, and kind of explaining what to do and how to get it mounted and all that. But he did the hard stuff himself. So yeah, I think that's we, awesome. We got that together and he was able to go out and fly that at the field. Um, you know, sans the bees. <laughs> yeah. Because they were... They were uh, Awful. Terrible. They were very the worst annoying. I, yeah, the worst I've ever seen. They've been really thick this year. Like not even just at the field, even at my house and other places. They're, they're yeah, I've noticed them really out here. Thick for some reason. Yeah, anyway, not not the bees, the the bugs, whatever you want to. What do you say they were again? They're hoverflies. Hoverfly. No, yeah. sorry, I still can't do it. Yeah, <laughs> well, whatever they are, they're the, really annoying. So yeah, but when we were out there, you know, like I said, he flew it on a buddy box with you. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a couple times that scared me. Uh, I really thought that plane was going to be no more. And I actually, so I told him before we went out there, I said, look, I don't want to sound bad, but I don't care about this airplane. That's kind of what I told him. It's not like an important airplane to me. This is yours. You don't have a big emotional investment with this airplane. Right. If you crash it, if you learn from it, cool. 
if you crash it on purpose, not cool. And he, you know, he <laughs> right. wouldn't do that anyway. He wouldn't do that. Yeah. But so he knew growing or going into it that if something happened to it, no big deal. No. You know, I'm I'm not going to lose any sleep over it. Well, it was funny because as, as we got there and, and you were going through putting your airplanes together and stuff, and after we got that one together, he was sitting back on the bench and I was talking to him and I was like, so, you know, are you about ready? Oh, I don't think I'm going to do it today. <laughs> what do you mean? Cold feet. Well, I, I'm nervous. <laughs> I was like, well, first off, it's good that you're nervous. You know, that shows that you actually are invested in this, you know, because you don't want to see something happen to it. If you weren't nervous and you're just like, ah, I don't care about this plane. I crashed it. It doesn't matter. I didn't pay for it, all that kind of stuff. I'm more concerned about somebody like that. He was nervous and I talked him down. I was like, if you crash it, I really don't care. I mean, so don't, don't worry about that. I said, I'm not going to walk and get it. You're going to walk and get it if you do it. (laughs) If you crash it, you're doing all the work. Just know that. But yeah. if you crash it and learn from it, it's okay. Yeah, it's okay. But then he finally, you know, after I talked to him for a few minutes, he finally decided that, uh, you know, I'll I'll get up and do it. So you guys buddy boxed together. There was, like I said, two times I was very scared because <laughs> I thought it was going in the corn once. You were probably, what, two feet above the corn? It was corn. close. It was much closer than the telemaster got to the corn the, the last time we flew it. Yeah. Or and, I flew it. And then... Um, I don't know what happened, but somehow you were like you were like diving down to the runway, and then it was like ten feet from the ground. It kind of came up and started going back up. That scared me also. So I'll mm-hmm. be honest. After you guys did that, and that was in the first like two minutes of you guys flying, I went and sat down and didn't watch. <laughs> so I guess I was a little nervous about that too. Yeah. Even though I didn't think I'd care. If yeah. It listen, he did fine. He really did. He did a he did a good job. He he um. He likes to fly low, which, you know, a lot of uh, inexperienced pilots tend to do that because they, I think they associate altitude with the um, amount or not, maybe not amount, but the severity of a crash. They, they figure if it's closer to oh. the ground, maybe if it crashes, it won't be as bad as if I'm, you know, 200 feet in the air. So that's kind of a natural tendency, I think, of, of new pilots or newer pilots. Um but no, he did. He did fine. Aside from flying low, and he got, and and I honestly, we were having some issues with the body box. It was, uh, it was, I want to say, cutting in and out. If that makes sense, you remember because we were yeah, messing I, with the cord or whatever. Yeah, and I, I heard the the. I don't the remember beeping. if it was. Yeah, I don't yeah, know it if it beep. was my. Was that my transmitter beeping or his? I don't remember which one it was. It was but... the. It was the one that was. The master, whichever okay, one. Okay, so that would have been mine. The, the one I was holding. Yeah, I, I didn't know what that beeping was when I heard yeah. it. I just thought you guys were no, it was, doing something. It was, uh, and on the ground, when it would make the beep, you know, it would be transferring, if you will, the control back to the, the master. So I'm thinking, you know, maybe a couple of those situations that he got in that you got, you know, really, really nervous, nervous. I, may not have been his fault because once Oh, he, I wasn't, hold on. I wasn't blaming him. I thought it was you letting him get too close. Oh. Well, I mean, I did <laughs> let him I, get close because I, I wanted him to learn. Though. I mean, like, know. I trusted you to do it, but I wasn't yeah. like, I I had my my faith in you because you were the one that was the the last, uh, the last wall to the, <laughs> to, I don't know how to say it other than that. You know, you were the, the, the last final line of def- defense There or you go, to um, the crash. But yeah. No, I mean, I, you know, part, part of being a good teacher is, is trying to stay ahead of the airplane. So you know what inputs to make when you when you finally you know release that switch to give you control back. But um, no, I'm, what I'm saying is, I think a lot of the situations that he got into may have been because of that issue with the with the cord or the or the input jack or whatever it is on that transmitter. Yeah, we're but, gonna have to figure that out before yeah, we go. But out again. but overall, I I think he did great. I mean, he you know I let him I let him get kind of in trouble a couple times, and I was like, okay, well let's see. You know, I I still have time to. <laughs> to get it out of this. And quite a few times he, he recovered on his own before I even got to the switch. So well, good. Um, he hasn't brought up going back out there yet. So I don't know if that scared him enough yeah. away for a little while or what, but well, maybe he was bored. It could have been. I mean, I mean, we were out and maybe the bees the bothered bees, him. Yeah. The bees, the bees Golly, were terrible. Those bees. I mean, they're, they're, I, yeah, I've never seen him so bad. Yeah. But anyway, <laughs> I, I look forward to, I look forward to him flying some more cause that, that was fun for me too, because you know it's a little something different I don't get to do very often. Yeah, and Train so someone. speaking of that, I wanna I wanna kind of read an email that we got. Um, this actually was sent to us today, yep. so perfect time for perfect what we're timing. talking about. Yep. Perfect time for when we were recording, because he yep. got it in probably what six hours. Yeah, before it was we early recorded. this morning, I think. Yeah. Um, so let, let's let me read uh, an email from Gary. 
So, so Gary says, hey, y'all, I have a dilemma. I've made a friend at the airfield that is getting into RC. The club vice president was training him. Uh, our VP told him he is not ready to fly on his own, but my friend feels he is ready to. He has attempted to several times, resulting in two crashed airplanes, but has had some successes. I feel he needs more training on landings. Um, my buddy and the VP who is training him do not have good chemistry and tend to spend more time arguing than flying. That's not good. No. They have crashed our club trainer and two of my friend's planes. My friend has hinted that he would be better off with someone like me to finish up his training. The issue is neither of us have a buddy box, and the club will not let me use theirs to train my friend. I also have never trained someone to fly RC, but I'm willing. So what can I do to learn how to teach someone? I found a field I could teach him at where RC is allowed. Not going to Reggie this all up, LOL. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. That made me giggle when I read it. Yeah. Um, I do have friends that can fly very well, and I was thinking of having them test me if I can get a trainer and buddy box set up. If you have any suggestions on how I can become a trainer, it would be appreciated. Thank you, Gary. Yeah, uh, so Gary, thanks for, for emailing us. That's that's awesome. Uh, first, I just want to address the, I don't want to Reggie this all up. While that is really, really, really entertaining and funny, um, Reggie is actually a pretty good pilot nowadays. So um, maybe in the early days, yeah, that would apply, but... He's actually a pretty good pilot. Oh, he's not saying anything about his piloting skills. He's talking about not flying where you're not oh, supposed to fly. Oh, flying where you're not supposed to fly. Okay. And he still does that. And he so does I'm fully do on board <laughs> with making so Reggie. Reggie, if you're listening, um, he's, yeah, he doesn't no. want to Reggie it up. He wants to fly at a proper <laughs> airfield. I'm fully on board with making Reggie a verb. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I don't want to Reggie it up. So, okay. Gary, good job. Good Thank job you. On that, that. That made my day. Um, so, I'm going to let Tom take most of that for how to train somebody because I am not one that would be good at training. Now, you you have to know your limitations. Well, you barely fly your own airplanes. Like somebody wants to have you help them fly their their airplane, you won't even fly your own sometimes. So, Well, however, like, okay, so here's where I get into, into, into problems. I get excited, but not like in the good way. (laughs) <laughs> okay. so like okay so here's the thing like with with piper let's let's use this for an example all right if she's crawling on something or walking on something or with her climbing getting ready to jump off of something um i try to stop that quickly yes and to do that in my mind i'm just expressing concern maybe a little louder than normal but <laughs> fast yeah i'm trying to get my point across to where every time i like stop you know anxious Almost more Perhaps. than excited. Well, I don't know because I, I, I'm not necessarily like scared that she's going to hurt herself. Okay. As much as I want it to stop now. Okay. When I do that, my wife always says, "Why are you yelling?" I'm like, "Well, I'm not yelling." So I come off differently than what I'm meaning to come off. I think. Okay. So, I would get too excited for somebody that needs to stay calm gotcha. when they're about to crash. Yep. And I, I also. <laughs> when they're about to crash. <laughs> yeah, and it's on me <laughs> if they do. I understand. Yeah. But the other problems I have is finding the right word for explaining what I want somebody to do. So if I'm trying to tell them to use the elevator, I might say aileron or instead of up, down, and that kind of stuff. And I don't want to confuse somebody. So I know my limitations when it comes to training sure. someone. Yep. You are very good, on the other hand, at talking about what needs to be done, talking somebody through it in a very calm manner. And I could learn from you on that. Um, well, so how, you. how do you like approach a subject like this where you need to train somebody? You don't want to be with somebody that's going to be excitable like me, I think. <laughs> that might not be good. But you also don't want to be with somebody like, you know, like he's talking about where they're butting heads, where they're not. Yeah. I mean, that makes it not fun for anybody. And the problem with that is you just, you don't get any enjoyment out of it. And then you don't learn because you're shutting down. So that's a bad situation to be in. What would you do? If you're going to be a trainer or if you're going to teach, um, you need to be comfortable with the subject. I think that goes for any type of teaching. So if you're going to teach somebody how to fly, you need to be comfortable yourself with flying. Um, If uh, And Gary's uh, not not an example I'm using, um, but I will use an example that I've seen at our field before. Somebody who only maybe has a year or so of flying experience trying to train somebody is usually um, ill-equipped to train. And the reason I say that is because it takes experience to learn um, 
Like what's kind of coming Like next? muscle memory, I want to say. Oh, okay. So, you know, you see an airplane, you react. You know, you see an airplane do something, you, you sort of automatically react. And I think that's sort of what you need to have kind of honed to be a teacher. Um, You're not thinking about your next move. It just happens. It just happens, right. Mm -hmm. So first off, you have to be comfortable with the subject. And in this case, you have to be, you know, you have to be comfortable with flying. Uh, and you also have to be, you know, I think a good teacher or somebody who can be a successful teacher has to be somebody who has maybe crashed a few themselves and has learned from their own mistakes. Um, I've got lots of experience in that regard. You know, I crashed quite a few airplanes, especially when I was starting out because we didn't have such a thing as buddy boxes. We were doing the old hand the transmitter back and forth, hot potato kind of thing. <laughs> um, but anyway, so number one, you have to be, you have to be a, you know, I mean, you have to be a decent pilot. I mean, you have to have some experience. You have to have, you know, maybe learned from some mistakes maybe that you've made that you can pass on. That's, that's what teaching is about. And we learn from our mistakes. Uh, so that's number one. And number two, um, it doesn't hurt to be friends or to um, already know maybe the uh, um, idiosyncrasies, if you will, of maybe the person you're teaching. Like maybe you maybe you already know them. The, the more you know them, the better it is or the easier it is to teach them because then you're more comfortable, and this is going to sound bad, but the, you're more comfortable telling them what to do. Um, I know when I first meet someone or especially at the field, if it's, a, if it's somebody new, and I always try to forewarn them saying, Hey, listen, I'm going to tell you what to do. And I, by no means am I, you know, trying to act like your boss or anything like that. I'm just saying, you know, if you want to learn, you have to do what I tell you to do. And a lot of that is repetition. And, you know, like I said, you know, you see an airplane in a particular attitude, you over years, you sort of train yourself to react to those situations. If you don't have that experience, you need someone to tell you or work you through that. So if you already know that person and you already kind of have a relationship with that person or a rapport or something like that, it's easier, you know, it's more comfortable to tell them, you know, what they need to do. Um, and you know, it, it sounds crazy, but, um, you can do a lot of it in your head. So I remember many, many years ago <clears throat> we were, uh, I think I was actually still in college and I was trying to teach a, a college friend and, uh, I knew we were going to go to the field. And, you know, it was like on a Wednesday or whatever, and we're going to go that weekend. And in my head, I was kind of going through um, a flight, if you know, like a routine. And usually what it is is like, you know, the first few flights are going to be, you know, you're going to take off probably as the, t as the instructor. And then you're going to at some point hand over the controls and have them do basic circles or whatever. And I try to have a plan for each flight. Um, starting with the basics, you know, right turn, left turn, let's mm -hmm. do some circles, you know, left hand pattern and right hand pattern. And then once they got the left and right thing figured out, then we'll do some figure eights in front of us, you know, cause that sort of develops that backwards thing when the airplane's coming at you. So, um, I'll go through that mentally in my head and I'll, it sounds crazy, but I'll, I'll even maybe grab my transmitter and when it's quiet or if I'm not working on anything, I'll just go over that pattern in my head and sort of develop that that muscle memory, if you will, even though I know how to fly, mm -hmm. teaching somebody to fly is not exactly the same. So, um, and then making sure the equipment is working. That's, that's another, you know, key factor. Make sure you're not having issues with the connections or if you're using a buddy box, you know, um, when you switch over the control to the, um, from the master to the, uh, the buddy box, the slave to is the what trainee. it's, to the, you know, it's called a slave in the, in the spectrum transmitter. But anyway, Make sure, and you do a lot of this during the pre-flight, uh, make sure when you switch the controls that everything is equal. Like make sure that neutral on the master matches the neutral on the trainer. If that, you know, when you hit the switch, make sure nothing moves. And then do the same thing at the, at the extremes of each gimbal. Like, you know, you move the right stick all the way up and to the right and the left stick all the way up and to the left. And then have the trainer do the same thing and then hit the switch and everything shouldn't move. Yeah. I noticed you did that when we were getting set up with Cody and I had never seen that done before. Yeah. That so. was just me making sure that the, that the trainer and the master uh, transmitters matched. Mm -hmm. So, and that's a good idea because you don't want to, you know, jump drastically right. when you go from master to, yeah. to I mean, trainer. sometimes, you know, I've seen it before where people flip the trainer switch and the throttles reversed. You know, so you're flying mm. along a wide open throttle and then the, you flip the control <laughs> and it kills the motor. Well, okay, yeah. that was a, 
That's wasted, bad. <laughs> you know, wasted tech, uh, takeoff or whatever. But um, so those are some of the things that that I you know kind of think about when it's time to train. But a lot of times, you know, if I'm at the field um, and it's you know it's a really busy day or whatever, and somebody just shows up and says, "Hey." Yeah, you know, there's sometimes there's not time to prepare. So yeah, well, uh, so here's my question: Like he says that they crashed two planes. Yeah, um, trying to do that. Is that normal? No. I was gonna say, no. you know, as a as a as a teacher, you should not be crashing any airplanes. I mean, that's how I would take it at least. That, no, you know, it, you should be in full control. And if you see, unless it's on a landing, but if it's on a landing, you should be comfortable enough to take control back over. Yeah. And, to where it's not going to crash. I mean, you might land hard, but it shouldn't crash an airplane. Right. And I failed to mention that something else you want to do as an instructor is you want to be, and this applies to a lot of different um, um, aspects of the hobbies. You want to you want to be flying, you know, ahead of the airplane. Like as an instructor, you want to try to anticipate everything you can, which is impossible. You can't anticipate everything, but you can, you know, you can fly 10, 15, 20 feet ahead of the airplane and be ready for those inputs when you flip that switch back if the, if the student gets in trouble. And that's, um, like I said, that's beneficial to many parts of the, of the flying, you know, of the, of the hobby, but uh, that's especially important to be ahead of the airplane, especially for training. Because like you said, you know, on a landing approach, and that's where it gets really dicey. Is is the is teaching the landing? That's actually yeah, the hardest part. Isn't it a good idea though to teach landing forty feet in the air? I mean, make your final approach and just yeah. imagine that you're landing that high up. That way, you're not in danger of actually crashing. Yeah, that's I've 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 seen that approach before, and you know, um, it works. I guess uh, I I don't like because of a landing usually means you know idle, mm-hmm. and I don't like for my students to get to idle in the air. Um, it's just a weird thing I have because then if you need to advance the throttle for whatever reason and maybe the engine's not tuned exactly right and it might hiccup and hiccup and die and but I definitely I absolutely have them practice their approaches you know 15 20 30 you know whatever whatever is comfortable for them in the air mm-hmm. absolutely and then just short of final approach or, or cutting the throttle for the flare then we'll you know that at that point I you know say okay cool that looked pretty good let's go around and try it lower and then I'll just have them progressively get lower but Teaching the landings is certainly the most difficult part. Like you said, a um, a good teacher shouldn't shouldn't crash two airplanes with the same student. Yeah, I so mean, that, I think there may be an issue. Yeah, with with either the equipment there or maybe the or maybe the instructor. Uh, and you shouldn't be arguing with anybody while you're trying to teach. No, that was the other thing that stood out to me. That was just like, man, that that just doesn't seem right. Yeah. You know, it, yeah. it should be a calm experience. It should be enjoyable because I exactly. mean, it's a hobby. That's what Let's this is all about. This is all about having fun. There shouldn't be any stress involved. Yeah. Unless you're crashing your own airplanes and all that stuff. And that's a whole different thing. But when you're, you know, you're talking to somebody <laughs> else, teaching somebody else, it ought to be yeah. fun. And 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 as a as an instructor, um, you got to, and this sounds terrible too, but you have to give yourself, um, you have to, excuse yourself if you lose an airplane. Um, it's it's not that you're deliberately crashing someone else's airplane or the club trainer, you know, in this case, but you can't always hold yourself responsible. I always, like, if I crash someone else's airplane, I feel terrible. No matter what the situation, I feel terrible. Um, but when you're instructing, you know, sometimes stuff happens. Like sometimes maybe a student won't give you time, Although it's a lot easier now because it's just the release of a switch and you've got control. But if you, but it's, it's a release of a switch that you have control yes, over. But um, you know, later in the training, the best way to learn is from our mistakes. So as an instructor, you want to let them, let the student in this case get into some trouble and then have them get themselves out. Which that's another technique I kind of use sometimes. Is I'll have, you know, I'll take control of the airplane and I'll have them look away. And then I'll put the airplane, you know, albeit with plenty of altitude, I'll put the airplane in a, in a weird angle or a weird situation, or whatever. And then I'll say, okay, look at it and recover. And we'll practice that sort of thing. Um, but that usually comes late, you know, in the training. Mm-hmm. Um, so the later you get in the training, the more comfortable you get with them as a student. And, you know, you've seen them maybe recover from these weird situations or whatever. So you tend to maybe let them go a little bit longer thinking that they're going to recover. Well, yeah. When you get closer to the ground, you know, the, the nerves get amped up, the adrenaline. Sometimes you don't make those and you haven't developed that muscle memory yet, you know, because you don't have all those years of experience. So it can happen. I mean, you can crash an airplane easily, especially late in the in the training when the 
you know, when you're comfortable with the student being able to recover at high altitudes, you know, when they get close to the ground, the, you know, they get nervous and they, they don't execute that recovery and it, you can lose airplanes. But as a, as an instructor, you have to give yourself an out. I mean, you're instructing them and they are the student and ultimately it's their airplane and it, you know, yes, you're, you're teaching them and yes, you're trying to save them money by, you know, not letting them crash their airplane, but ultimately it's theirs and they have to own it. So, um, and that's hard to get over. I get it, but. Yeah. Now, most of the time, like if you're going to train somebody and they give you, or not give you, but, you know, use their airplane to do it, will you fly it by yourself Absolutely. first? Absolutely. Yeah. So, you, I mean, you want to get used to that airplane. You want to get, you want to see what bad habits it has. You, you kind of want to learn it. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and that, and that usually if, um, and this is especially true if I'm at the field and somebody just like, you know, ambushes me and say, Hey, help me train. It's like, Oh, okay. Hold on. Well, if you don't mind, I'm going to take this up and fly it first to make sure it's trimmed. You know, like you said, learn any of its bad habits or whatever. Um, yeah, I, 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 I will not <laughs> try to train somebody that's either already airborne mm -hmm. or, or, you know, that I'm not familiar with the airplane. Yeah. And that's a good way to be. Yeah. Well, I don't want any surprises, you know, I mean, yeah. it's, 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 it's enough and it's not really stress, but it's enough going on to try to teach somebody who's never done this before, let alone with an airplane that you're not familiar with. Yeah. So at least, yeah, get that familiarization flight out of the way. So, but Gary, anyway, getting back to the email, I, I think, uh, I mean, if you're comfortable with, with flying, you know, taking off landing and, and you feel like you can convey in words to somebody who's also trying to fly, I think you'll be fine. I think you, I think you could train somebody just fine. But it is not a bad idea though. You know, like he was talking about having some of his friends that know how to fly kind of test him. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's, that's a good idea to kind yeah, of practice great on idea. somebody else that already knows what's going on. Yeah. Especially um, if you're use if, if the airplane you're going to be using is the airplane you're going to be using with the, with the student. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that's a good idea. Really yeah. good idea. So let us know how it goes. Yeah. Good luck. Yeah, keep us posted, Gary. I think you can do it. Also, last time we were out of the field, um, you have actually a couple new biplanes, but you only <laughs> flew one of them. Yeah. Um, why, why don't you tell what, what it is? Because I don't know. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So uh, I got a great planes reactor biplane, um, the, the orange and white and blue one. Uh, mm -hmm. Really, really sharp airplane. Uh, love the way it flies. I've had it for a little bit. Um, Reggie actually picked it up for me while he was in, uh, in a hobby shop not too far away. Uh, brought it home for me and I went through it finally and got the battery swapped out and uh, got it all set up with my transmitter and flew it for the first time that day. Uh, I was pretty happy with uh, with how it did. I can't wait to fly it again. So you said that one looked like it was one that was put together by Great Plains or something like as a, a demonstration model or something? Yeah, um, and that's that's really why I uh, I wanted this airplane so bad. So when we were at the hobby shop that you know we ultimately bought it from, um, they had it hanging up there and I, you know, I... I've always liked this particular, I, I have a thing for biplanes anyway. So anytime there's one hanging somewhere, I'm always like, oh, look, a biplane. Uh, so this one was hanging up there and it, you know, I, I kind of looked at it as like, oh, that's a good looking biplane. And then I looked closer and uh, I'm like, boy, they sure did a really good job, you know, trimming the cowl on this thing. And like, you know, all the edges were sanded. It's like a uniform gap around the cylinder head and the, and the exhaust. It's got a, you know, it's just per like what I would call perfect. I'm like, man, boy, somebody really did a good job with this. And then I noticed, oh, it's got, you know, all these Futaba high-end Futaba servos in it, these uh, high-voltage brushless servos. Like, wow, this thing is really set up. Nice. And then I'm, you know, I'm looking closer and it's, um, it's all either uh, Great Plains hardware or like I said, it's Futaba, you know, radio equipment, had an OS, has an OS 91, uh, the new 91 four-stroke on it. Um, so I'm looking at it, I'm like, boy, this thing is really, really nice. Somebody did a really, really good job of putting this thing together. And then it occurred to me, it's like, man, this thing looks like it could be like in a magazine or something. <laughs> I mean, because I, I mean, I, I feel like I do an okay job putting an ARF together, but this thing was like, I mean, way, yeah. way above anything that I would normally <laughs> put mm -hmm. out. Um, so I, I'm pretty sure um, just by the fact that the, the, the way the cutouts were done on the cowl, um, the edges of them have been sanded, right? So that all, and there's no sharp edges on any of the cutouts. And this is important because usually most of us, myself included, we're, we, sometimes we can be lazy or we're in a hurry, want to get the thing in the air. Maybe we'll take some shortcuts. We maybe we won't sand the edges. 
but the, all the edges were sanded and smooth. And here's the other thing. Um, you know, usually when you cut a hole in a fiberglass cowl, even if you sand it, that edge is going to be unpainted, right? Mm -hmm. All the edges of the cutouts in this cowl were painted in the factory paint that, that was used on the cowl. Mm -hmm. So that kind of tells me, oh, this thing looks like it was trimmed and then painted. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So I'm... I'm nearly certain that this is an airplane, if not the airplane, that um, Hobbyco or Great Plains used in the um, advertising for you know this particular airplane, like either through their magazine ads or online or in the, at some of the shows or whatever. And that also has to do with our location. Yeah. So Great yeah, Plains. Where we're at. Uh, Great Plains is that that's local to us too. Yeah, I mean, Great like... Plains, Hobbyco, Horizon. Hangar 9, most of those proprietary brands, they're all here located in the Midwest, not too far from where we're living. Okay. Yeah. So Champagne. That, yeah. That's so that's why, and we were very close to Champagne when we were at that hobby shop. Yes. Actually, no, wait, we're, that was in Champagne at exactly. that hobby shop. So, yeah. okay. Yeah. That, that does make a little bit of sense. Yeah. So whoever built that, if you're listening, fantastic job. It looks beautiful. It flies great. Mm -hmm. I don't know if it's ever been flown. It didn't look like it to me. Uh, it didn't have any hangar rash or anything. It does now. I'm sorry to Oh, admit. come on. Uh, yeah. Really? Yeah, getting it in the house, trying oh. to get it down in the basement. I put a little dent in the leading edge of the lower right-hand wing. That's terrible. I, yeah, I was sick about it. But see, that was... is Okay, so that was also the same trip then where we stopped on the way home uh, by Monticello at yeah, Eli, Eli Field. Eli Field. Mm -hmm. And they had... Uh, we were, we were kind of ran off the field. I mean, like, yeah, not in so many words, but yeah, they, they made it, uh, the gentleman made it clear that they were doing some testing or something there and they it really kind of weren't open for the public at that time. Which I didn't, I mean, I didn't know you could do, I mean, we're not members, right, so that's right. fine. So but I didn't care, but yeah, they were in their little, in their little hangar working on stuff and we pulled up and I mean, he was out lickety split yeah, he trying to see what's going us. on and he was nice, mm -hmm. but, uh, not nice. Well, no, I shouldn't say it. nice, but stern. You know, he was, oh, good, what brings you here today? Yeah, well, we're busy. You know, we're just doing some stuff. It's not really ready for, for people to see kind of thing. And it's like, yeah. eh, okay. Yeah. He, he was but, polite. I mean, I, you know, if, whether they work for Horizon or whoever or not, you know, I, I, didn't, I didn't recognize the individual. Yeah. Um, and I know, you know, some of those guys, but um, yeah. <laughs> it looked like a big, what was it, like a big red... Uh, like a big cub or Taylor Craft or yeah, something. Yeah, I was thinking yeah. more like a Taylor Craft or something. But yeah, yeah. so we'll but see if knows. they come out with one of those, then we saw them testing it. <laughs> yeah, well, we didn't actually see him testing it. <laughs> well, anything. we saw him working on it. Well, it was sitting in their hangar and they were looking at it, it looked like to me. But uh, at any be. rate, yeah, that's, uh, so that's the reactor uh, biplane, uh, which, of course, Great Plains doesn't make anymore. Um, so when would that have been made? Uh, that one's actually not very old. I think 2014, I think, 14, 16, oh, somewhere okay. in that range. So, so not too long ago. Yeah, yeah. Uh, great flying airplane. Man, I can't wait to really yeah, bring you, it out. You, uh, you had some some flights with that, and that looked pretty good. Yeah. Even with all the bees flying around you, oh, I was impressed. bees. Oh, yeah, those my bees gosh. bees were terrible, I know, right? Just swarming. Oh, but I heard they're not bees. Well, they're actually called hoverflies. Hoverflies, huh? <laughs> and, and I don't, I don't like that. I'm calling them bees. Okay. Well, in the article I read says they don't sting either, but I beg to differ. And they bite. Because that one put a welt in the corner crook of my arm. That's for sure. <laughs> so, so, what's the other uh, biplane you just? So got? the other biplane is a little bit older. We're talking 2005 or six um, time frame. But not put together yet. No, no. This one, <laughs> funny story. Uh, so our favorite, or my new favorite hobby shop. Which no, you is, can uh, say R. I'm in with that. Okay, good. Dynamic, uh, dynamic balsa up there in Leonore, um, Illinois. Uh, I mean, where do I start? The guy, I mean, there's so much stuff to look at there. But he has, you know, he sells used airplanes. And um, upstairs in the attic where he keeps all the, most of the used airplanes, he had in a box, a big box, um, and, and on the it was a big white box, and on the outside it said uh, CH and then double vision. Well, that's a chip hide double vision biplane. Uh, I remember when those came out, I was like, man, that is a really great looking, and you know, big airplane. It's a 50cc, I forget what the wingspan is. I think it's like 82 inches. 80. It might be just over 81 to be IMAA legal or whatever. But anyway, uh -huh. um, so I recognized the box and the writing on the box. I'm like, hey, that's cool. I'm going to open this box up. Well, I open the box up and there's a complete airframe in there, unassembled ARF, uh, which are hard to find anyway, because uh, they only made so many of them. Mm -hmm. 
And I think you had to pre-order them. I think they sold them all through pre-order. Like when they finally made it to the, you know, in the big container from China or Taiwan or wherever they were made. I think they were all sold when they got here. Uh, at any rate, so uh, so I'm like, oh, cool, you know, and I was taking some stuff there to to trade because uh, uh, Brian there at the hobby shop will do that sometimes. Uh, so I got him. I was like, hey, Brian, how much are we talking for this uh, for this double vision up here? And he's like, oh, well, you know, there's that box. And then, you know, there's another box of stuff behind it. And I'm looking at him <laughs> like another box. So, yeah, in, in another box, like just around kind of around the corner where this thing was sitting, there was another ginormous box. And I opened it up and there was, I mean, aside from no more fuselages, there was enough wing panels in there to build three complete airplanes. Uh, there's enough tail feathers in there to build three more airplanes. And then there's an extra cowl, extra set of wheel pants. I mean, I'm set for life for this airplane. Uh, the only thing Hopefully. I need. Well, right. The only thing I need really to complete, you know, at least make one more airframe is just a fuselage. Yeah. Um, which anyway, I wouldn't mind finding another one if anyone knows where to find one. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, so chip high double vision. It's a 50cc um, sized biplane it takes you know, a servo in each wing panel two servos you know for the elevator uh you can run the i think you can run the rudder with one high torque uh servo uh, but yeah i'm really excited about that uh, that'll be a project you know for later down the road you know maybe next after year. we do some other ones yeah yeah maybe next year year after whatever it is i still got to find an engine for it uh the 50 cc that i have is not going to work for this one so it's uh it's a different looking airplane if you don't know what it looks like look it up yeah. uh it's don't hate me, but it's kind of ugly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's not it's not a classic Pitts or yeah. Kristen Eagle or, or well, I, th you know, I think Smith the thing Mini I don't or... yeah, I think the thing I don't like about it though is it's too skinny. It is skinny. It's a very skinny. It's very tall. Like, yeah, yeah, which so makes it, was... it look skinnier. It almost looks like it's like a profile airplane that they just kind of widened up like five or six times. Yeah, I could see that. So I, um, I think that's the thing I don't care too but much But I mean, for it's, it. you know, it's a chip hide design. And if anybody, you know, is not familiar with the name, chip hide is synonymous with pattern uh, IMAA, IMAC type oh, okay. uh, airplane. So this thing was designed to compete, you know, in, in competition, you know, aerobatic competitions. So it's, uh, it's a very slender, like you said, fuselage, but it's very tall. So it has a very, you know, tall aspect ratio. So it's good for knife edge. Um, okay. Has pretty thin airfoil wings mm -hmm. uh, that are swept back, so it's you know designed to be flown fast and with precision. Yeah. Other than other than the shape of the fuselage, I like it. Yeah. I think that's the one thing it draws me. But I mean, knowing why, I guess it kind of makes sense. Do you like the but... colors? Normally, you don't go for those kinds of colors. They're okay. It's kind of what red, yellow, white, and purple. I think there's some purple. Yeah. It's it's not bad. I yeah. mean, I would not be opposed to owning a plane like that. Does that make sense? <laughs> it I does. Mean, yeah. I wouldn't get it and be like, this is. If so we can ugly, find another fuselage, maybe we can uh, work out a deal and you can have one. I have no interest. Okay. Sorry. But anyway, yeah, that's the, I have no uh, room. That's well, and that's the other thing. That's why this thing is still in a box in my house because I'm gonna have to get rid of some stuff. I think to store this thing once it's assembled. Well, so that kind of brings me to my next point. Then, what is it with you and biplanes? You love biplanes. Yeah, I do. Um, I don't know why. Um, well, I mean, I guess I kind of know why. So when I was a kid, like when I was a kid, um, uh, living in this, you know, growing up in the small town I grew up in, we had a regional airport, and every summer they would have a an air show. And we're talking when I say air show, like maybe maybe <laughs> like five the crop dusters yeah, come out. To maybe show you. five yeah. airplanes showed up, and you know, most of them were Cessnas, okay. But it was still an air show, and and every year the same guy would show up in his in a, in a Pitts. It was a Pitts S one, uh, red and white, a beautiful little airplane. And as a kid, seeing this thing fly at the air show, it was so much different than any of the airplanes that were there. Now, granted, you know you can see biplanes almost anywhere these days, but um, as a kid. You know, there were all these high wing Cessna type airplanes and then there was this biplane. And every time, you know, he would take off and do his little, um, you know, routine. See, like, especially when a biplane is, is, is rolling, you know, doing an aileron roll, seeing two wings, you know, kind of roll in unison together to me is just really, really cool. Like um, mesmerizing. It really is mm -hmm. uh, to me. Um, so I think I've always had a soft spot for biplanes kind of going back to, to when I was a kid because they were so different than, you know, than the other airplanes. And then as I, you know, as I got older and, you know, did, you know, got a little more, uh, involved with airplanes and, 
and there were so many different types of biplanes. Like there were aerobatic biplanes, there were trainer biplanes, there were biplanes made for bombing, you know, in the wars, there was biplanes made for crop dusting. There was, I mean, there was just such a wide variety of them and they all had those two wings to me. It was just <laughs> mesmerizing, like you said. Yeah. And then usually, you know, um, way back in the day, you know, biplanes were synonymous with round engines, you know, radials. And oh. I have an affinity for engines, uh, yeah. as we all know. So combine the two and it's a beautiful thing. Yeah, and I can get that. So I, I have the uh, Super Skybolt, and that's my only biplane. Mm -hmm. um, it's it's fun. I like flying it. I don't like all the extra work that goes into it. Like, to me, it's another wing to store. It's another wing to take to the field. Yeah. It's more hardware to put on. It is. It's. I mean, it's. I, I guess I'm whining a little bit about it. I, I get it, but that. Well, no, you're you're absolutely right. They are they are certainly more, and they're yeah. they're obviously more work to build if you're building one. Uh, you know, you got an extra wing to build, and then if you're building one from plans, then you have to you know, or a kit, you have to be mindful of the, you know, all the incidences, you know, the you know the angles, if you will, how the wings are mounted compared to the tail, and all that sort of stuff. But um, yeah, they're they're certainly more work. So have you built a biplane before? I have. So what what special goes into it that you don't have to worry about, like with an actual like single wing or wing plane? Well, I mean, the obvious the obvious answer to that is that the two wings need to and depending on the design, like some not not all biplanes uh do the wings actually line up. You know, as far as the incidence, the angle of the, you know, the, from the leading edge to the trailing edge, not all biplanes do they, are they exactly the same from top to bottom? And um, why would that be? That's a good question. Uh, most of it has to do with, uh, uh, so aerodynamic centers and, and the CG and how the, you know, how the aerodynamic centers, you know, they usually don't line up on the top wing and the bottom wing. So they, you know, they, they might make a, an incidence or an angle change on the top wing to sort of lean that aerodynamic center forward to maybe match the front one or, or vice versa. It has to, obviously it has to do with aerodynamics and things like that. Um, and I have to admit, I've only ever built biplanes from kits. I've never actually built one from just plans. Mm -hmm. um, but usually on the plans, you know, it'll tell you top wing, you know, minus one degree, bottom wing zero, uh, horizontal stabs, you know, whatever they say. You just have to be mindful of that. And they and that does add a, a significant amount of work. But those, those are the, like, the, the key thing that really differentiates between building a biplane and a monoplane is, you know, making sure those angles are correct between the two wings. And they and tell you on the plans. So if you get them off a little bit, you said one's supposed to be like one degree, one zero degrees. What if you had them both at zero degrees? I mean, yeah. like what what characteristics are you going to be inducing into the flight for that airplane? Well, I mean, it, it, it kind of goes, it, it would be the same sort of thing as if an airplane, you know, you built an airplane with the stab at the wrong angle. Um, you know, you, you'll have pitch changes with, with speed, um, or I'm sorry, you'll have trim changes with speed, uh, you know, I can't think of an, an example, but if you have like, say an upper wing that has a positive angle, whereas the lower wing has a negative angle, not only are you going to be introducing more drag because one wing, you know, they, they don't match, they're not flowing through the air at the, you know, at the same amount of, uh, induced drag, but, um, you know, you're, you're changing that angle of lift, you know, the lift comes off of your, usually from the leading edge to the trailing edge, your lift comes off perpendicular to that line, right? So if you're, if you're leaning that back, well, now you're, you're introducing a rearward component of lift. So that does weird things with trim and, you know, maybe, maybe the thing will track weird through a, through a loop. Maybe it'll stall at the top of a loop because now the upper wing is at this really crazy angle of attack. I mean, lots of, lots of weird trim and, and little tendencies, um, that you can, you know, that you can induce by building it incorrectly or getting those angles wrong. Hmm. So what did you build? What plane was it? So I've built a few biplanes over the years. Oh, okay. Um, so I've, uh, I mean, just off the top of my head, a Goldberg Ultimate, which was probably the best flying biplane I've ever owned. Um, I've built a couple of Sig uh, Smith mini planes, which are also great flying. They're little airplanes. So I call them one-piecers. Mm -hmm. You could put them together and they were so small, you could just leave them one piece. So then there was no assembly at the field. <laughs> That's um, handy, by yeah. the way, to oh, yeah. not have yeah. to do anything at the field, just take it out of the car. Yeah. Uh, so I've built those. I've built... Uh, 
Great Plains made a Super Skybolt. They made it in an ARF version and also a kit. I built the kit. Yeah, um, mine was the ARF. Yeah. We came to that conclusion. Yeah. And yours flies good. It does. Because you know, we flew it you know, out here, but uh, the one I built from a kit, I wasn't happy with it either. I got something wrong or maybe they got something wrong on the, on the plans or the kit or whatever. It, I'd never really liked the way it flew. Hmm. Never seemed to be on a rail. Yeah. If that makes sense. No, I get it. This um, one seems to be. I mean, yeah, it flies yeah, yours pretty flies, good. flies really good. Yeah. Well, it flies so good. I mean, I, we were comfortable flying it off the road right out here in front of your house. Uh, not we, you. <laughs> well, but I mean, it flew right out here. So that's how yeah, com- I mean, comfortable it, it we was, were with it the was power lines and all the other stuff. Uh, that, that scared did. me, but yeah. <laughs> okay, don't Reggie it up. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Nicely done. Ah, yeah. there we so go. So there you go, Reggie. There's a story for you. I did fly one time. No, it was just once. It was one, on my birthday, actually. It was one time uh, in an area where I probably shouldn't have. I would, I would say, probably shouldn't have is a, a bit of an understatement. It was, uh, <laughs> it was off of a county highway. It was under power lines. I mean, but you know what? Yeah, I got nothing. <laughs> yeah, it, that <laughs> it, it was, was a no-no. Yeah, but you know what? I regged it up. So you there you go. Regged it up. Uh, but yeah, those are some of the some of the biplanes I've I've built. And there's probably others. I, I think I oh uh, another biplane that I was quite fond of was an Ace 440 biplane, which was a kind of a had ailerons just on the lower wing, you know. So the top wing was just a wing, just there for lift, you know. Not, uh, but that was a good flying biplane too. I flew that one in college, and uh, I think I eventually sold that one. But that one was cool because I used transparent. Uh, Monaco for the first time. <laughs> you and transparent. So it was transparent red and cream. Oh, it was a good looking airplane. Oh man, yeah. that sounds. Uh, it was beautiful. Actually, that's not the word I was going for, but <laughs> it definitely sounds like it. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was really it, like if you look at the box on an if you find an Ace 440 biplane picture, um, mine looked exactly like the picture, but the pictures are all black and white, so I didn't know what colors they were. <laughs> so I went with transparent red and cream and. I got to tell you, it looked really, really good. There you go. Yeah, so, I may build another one someday. Maybe it should just, just all be grays. So it matches yeah, the maybe. picture. Yeah, maybe. So it matches the picture. Yeah. yeah. Like, so that had been like transparent charcoal and white, I guess. I don't know. That might not look very good. <laughs> well, neither does cream and transparent red. But oh, that's, cream and red goes great together. No. Oh, that's a very classic vintage color combination. Oh, you know what? You're right. No, Taylor no, Crafts yeah, were yeah. that way. Okay, you got uh, me. Satabrias were red, and you could get. I mean, that's a great color. So if you're going for classic, no, you're right. Yeah, you I can think I mean? of a. I can think of a few of them, yeah, like that, the old and Wacos was, and stuff, weren't they? Ex- the same yeah, colors. I think. I think or, the UPF sevens. You could. Yeah, I think they were. I mean, they could be whatever color they painted them. You know, but I think that was a popular. Yeah, back in the 40s and 50s. Yeah, really sharp. And that happened to that airplane. Also happened to be the first airplane I had that had a four stroke. Oh, had a Sato. I, 45 or something like that on it. Huh. Well, that's that's where it started, huh? That's where the four-stroke journey started, yeah. So that would have been, yeah, 90 90 or 91, I think. Hmm. I was 10 (laughs) or 9, I mean, depending on what year you think. Sad you can't get that airplane anymore either, but that's a great flying biplane. There's a lot of stuff you can't get anymore that's too bad. It is. But anyway. It's too bad. But yeah, that's uh, like I can't really put my finger on exactly what it is about biplanes, but I just like them. I think they look cool, especially when they're flying, you know, with the two wings, you know, doing the thing together. One more thing about biplanes is uh, 99% of them are tail draggers. <laughs> There's been very, very, it's which is kind of strange. There's been very, very few tricycle biplanes, at least models. Um, I had one one time way back when. I can't even remember the name of it. I think it was a, I think it was a Balsa USA something. Um, but yeah, it was, it was, it was odd. It just didn't look right to me. <laughs> yeah. Now that you say that, I've never thought about it before, but yeah, I've never seen one yeah. and I'm trying to picture it and it, yeah, it doesn't yeah. look right. They look odd. It does. I don't uh, know why. Flew great. Really? From what I remember, you know, it was easy to control on the ground and all that. But I tell you, not to go off on a tangent, but I prefer tail draggers or conventional gear, if you will. Um, just because number one, they are easier to set up. Yeah. I mean, look at the trouble you've had with the nose gear on that trainer out there. Yeah. You know Every I mean? time you're you're trying to fly, you're, if it's off a little bit, you know, as soon as you're taxing, it changes based on when you're trying to take off and all that. Right. Yeah, it's a pain to do. And, and the collars never seem to stay locked just yeah. right and perfect, you yeah. know, with No the matter rudder. what you, I mean, you can file a flat on the wire, you can loctate the, loctite the set screw. They always seem to, at the worst possible time, 
usually on landing, mm-hmm. um, they'll turn as, mm-hmm. as soon as they touch the ground and then, you know, you've got a mess. I So, yeah, I prefer the tail draggers. So tail yeah. dragger, biplane, and radial engines, man, that's a great combination. <laughs> and those all go together pretty well. <laughs> well, sure they do. Now, it, it is a little bit easier, I think, to taxi and take off with a, with a tricycle. Oh, yeah. If it's set up correctly, yeah, there's there's certainly no question about that. Which is probably why all of the, the trainers, you know, yes. are tricycle gear, but yep. most, I should say. But, like, I always have problems with cubs <laughs> just because you have to be, I mean, you can't just go full throttle. You have to be have so to, careful, yeah. slowly working into it, and you have to work to and take And really, you off. should do that with all airplanes. Yeah. But... Well, and when I say problems, I, I guess I don't mean problems. They're more fun to fly because you have to fly them on the ground before you exactly. take off. Exactly, yeah. So it's many of today's of airplanes are so overpowered that you just, you know, bury the bury the gas and whatever direction it's pointing in, in 15 feet, it's airborne anyway. So whatever, why do I need to control it on the ground, right? But, mm-hmm. um, old school biplanes where you, or, or a cub even that you have to really kind of, like you, just like you said, fly it on the ground before you get it in the air, right? I like that. Mm-hmm. Which is why it's it's hard if you learn on a three channel, <laughs> because that changes drastically what you do. On changes the everything. Yep. At least on the ground. So, so cool. Yeah. Um, next thing I want to talk about. Uh, we had somebody reach out and ask us about a. Uh, uh, you know, we talked a while ago about the three D printed ribs that mm-hmm. we were trying to do, and I, I yep. completely forgot about it. And I guess we didn't uh, didn't wrap that one up. So I will wrap that one up now. Okay. Um, so for now, I, I think I'm just going to stick with the balsa ribs. Yeah. Uh, the 3D printed ribs uh, would be usable, I think, for a build. Uh, you know, they're cheaper than it is uh, to use balsa if cost is a concern. Right. Uh, but that's assuming you already have a 3D printer, exactly. which is not cheaper than balsa. Right. So the, the biggest uh, downside that I found was the lack of capacity. So, like, my printer bed or, or the, the actual print area is only, like, 7 inches by 7 inches. So, printing the largest, like, even the Duelist uh, wing ribs cannot be done in a single piece. Okay. Um, you know, I, I was able to print one in two pieces and glue it together, and that worked okay. Yeah. But I, I really would prefer not to do that. Um, so, yeah, for what we're working on now, 3D printing is out. Yeah. Now, um, I will say, you know, having, you know, now that I have a couple of the ones you did at home, uh, and I, you know, I got to play with them or whatever i i think they would work like you said um they are generally speaking for the a similar size balsa rib they're obviously going to be heavier but they are very very strong i mean i will give you that so mm-hmm. you would probably need fewer of them fewer probably. of them or we could even lighten them up some more right uh, taking some material off you know instead of quarter inch maybe it only needs to be an eighth inch perimeter on the outside right. with a couple yeah. uh, supports in the middle of it they do but, they do they would need um a fair amount of work uh, even after printing, at least in the ones that that uh, that you printed for me, uh, straightening the edges up and, yeah, and cleaning that, that up, that and things. would be different now because I changed oh. my printer around a little bit and did some tweaking, okay. yeah, and kind of got it set up a little bit better, so we shouldn't have that problem oh, okay. next time. Okay, um, but yeah, I, if I tell I, you what, a great application I think would be for those ribs would be foam airplanes. Oh yeah, like if we're gonna do some stuff later with mm-hmm. foam, uh, I think those those would probably be great as formers or, or ribs or whatever to kind of form the shape of the internal structure of whatever foam you're, you know, you're using. Yeah, that's a good idea. So but I think that might be a good you know, application because I think hot glue will stick to those like glue. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, couldn't that's resist. That's good. <laughs> uh, no, hot glue does stick to them very well, as does super glue. Oh, yeah. um, so yeah. the, the problem you were talking about, though, it did kind of have a little bit of what's called an elephant's foot on it yeah. where that bottom part kind of comes out. Yeah. Like I said, when I print stuff now, the way I've changed things around, I, I don't have as, that issue. Okay, good. So, I mean, it should be usable well, yeah, right that, offhand. That it's would just, certainly reduce the amount of work, that's for sure. I just need a, a 3D printer that's about five times as big as that one. <laughs> I mean, really, because that's that's the biggest problem is just the, the, the print size. area. So, yeah, for now, 3D printing I'm not going to worry about. Uh, might come back if I do a smaller airplane, though. You yeah. never know. Well, you're, are you, what do you... So for the when <laughs> I can't get it <laughs> out of my mouth, <laughs> yeah. So for the telemaster, when we finally get the telemaster to a point where we can fly the thing, mm-hmm. um, are you still planning on printing a cowl? Oh it? yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'm so, just I'm just waiting until we get that all figured out because I don't want to do one and then have to oh, uh, do another minute, one. You said it was done. Oh, that's not fair. <laughs> well, I'm not lying. Crickets. <laughs> yeah, you're right. I did say it was done. 
Uh, if only I knew somebody that was good with motors. Right? I know. If only, Anybody. Like, who could we call? I don't know. That's the problem. So a quick update. We tried again to run it tonight, <laughs> uh, right before we started recording here. And the thing runs now on 4.8 volts mm -hmm. uh, on the ignition for a few minutes. Mm -hmm. And I, what I think is going on, I, I still, I'm, I'm almost... I mean, I'm convinced that it's the ignition. I yeah. really, I really believe that. And so I think order another one tonight, and we'll see what I'm going happens to. next I'm week. I'm going to order. Yep. I'm going to order probably. Uh, well, well, to be determined. <laughs> so yeah. So we'll try again next week, and if we don't talk about it, then that means that we're embarrassed and we don't want to. <laughs> it means Tom is a failure again, 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 and over and again on getting this thing to actually. If it fails one more time, no, I have no, no. So I posted pictures here just a little bit ago. Uh -huh. uh, rebuilt the two engines that, uh, or I rebuilt two engines. I wouldn't really say I rebuilt them. I replaced the crankshaft in both, and then some bearings in, in the other one. Sure. Um, so the number two engine that we tried on that airplane is ready to go. Not gonna happen. <laughs> Find yourself another airplane for it. I am. Uh, I'll put one. Good. I'll put one of my engines on if we have to, because I'm sticking with gas. Okay. So fair enough. But I am gonna I am gonna order an order an ignition because I'm gonna need it anyway, even if I don't end up using it on this airplane. So yeah, I'm gonna order a quality one, and and if it's not that, then <laughs> engine number six. Engine number six. <laughs> oh no, we're not gonna do that. I mean, we're we're not gonna have that issue. You're well, I mean, the there's nothing left to replace, yeah, right? Right. At this I mean, point. it's got compression. It has it, good compression. The carburetor is doing what it's supposed to. It, it responded to changes that I made. Mm -hmm. uh, while, it's a brand new carburetor. It's a, yeah. Thanks, Valley View. And um, yeah, the ignition is is the final. I mean, really. And I think and I'm even now. I'm I'm even more convinced because running it at lower voltage probably just takes longer to heat up the whatever's going wrong inside that ignition. Uh, so yeah, it allowed us to run it briefly, but then once it got hot, the ignition, I mean, yeah, uh, then it started and then it doing, shut the, off. doing. And the I was so excited again. again last week because I know you sent me that video of a running on four point eight volts and and it was running fine. How long did you actually get to run it? A half tank. I mean, that was almost completely full, and you saw what was in it tonight. So I ran a half tank through it. I just let it sit out there and run. Hmm. So anyway, until did next you just time. let it run at idle? Uh, no, there was a little, no, cause there was you up and down and all that stuff. Yeah. Cause I didn't want it to load up too much and die or anything like that. So yeah, I'd yeah. clear it out every now and then. Hmm. But anyway, we'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. I promise. Oh, you know what that means. It's time for RC Plane Labs Tool of the Week. Tool of the Week, Tom. <laughs> Okay. I don't know why you're laughing. Tool of the week, Tom. Uh, it took me by surprise. That oh. That is a good running engine that I just heard. <laughs> oh, so. So the tool of the week. This is your call this week. Yeah, what are you I picking? I picked it this week, and it's a tool that I'm sure every modeler has. I'm sure even if you're not a modeler, you might own one of these things. It's a Dremel. Oh, that's a good that's a good pick. I mean, that's a great tool, right? I use mine for not only modeling, but for uh, a lot of different things. Oh yeah, um, cut off wheels, sanding. You know, the drum sander. The you know, using it as like a, a roto zip, even with the, yep. those bits and stuff. Mm -hmm. Great tool yeah. for all around use. And Dremel even makes attachments for it. Like they make a drill press attachment. They have the flex shaft that you can get for it so you can get in tight areas or whatever. See, I don't have any of that. Oh, yeah. See, really? Rock your world. There you go. Yeah. So what do you use yours for? Everything. I mean, I use it, like you said, I use it for the hobby, you know, cutting off bolts that are too long or, you yeah. know, uh, sanding down a piece of balsa, cutting a piece of balsa even, um, shaping things with like if i need to um take some threads off or if i want to uh, clean up some threads on a on a bolt i can use the the uh, uh carbide not the carbide but the the stone wheels you know for that yeah, the to, grinding to wheels. grind yeah i mean i use the thing i used a wire brush the other day to clean some rust off of a part i mean the thing has just got you know endless number of uses and i don't just use it for the hobby like you said i've i've used it all over our house yeah, I actually have one in the shop and one uh, down here with the hobby stuff. So yeah, I have I own several also. I have one in my uh, my little shop. Actually, they're both down there, but 
Um, I have one that I kind of use just exclusively for balsa, mm -hmm. and then one I use for everything else. I actually have one. It's not a Dremel, but it's Dremel-like. Yeah. And it goes back like it's old. I mean, okay. it looks like it. I mean, the whole thing is metal. It's heavy. Oh, okay. But instead of like the eighth-inch bits, you know, that the Dremels take, it's a quarter-inch bit. Oh, my. It is the coolest-looking thing. That's I mean, it's got it's wild. It's probably... 13, 14 inches long. Really? It's huge. Yeah. It doesn't run anymore, but I can't just like oh. make myself get rid of it. Yeah. But it ran. A, I mean, like I've used it before. With I don't a quarter know. inch chuck. That's, uh, yeah, it's huge. Wow. And it's got the old like metal switch, you know, with a ball on the end of it. Yeah. Like it's from the, like the seventies or eighties. Yeah. yeah. So it makes goes, a big click. When yeah, you, uh -huh, yeah. 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 Actually, it's probably wild. just the brushes need to be replaced on it, but probably, you could probably fix it's that. probably not worth it to, to yeah. do it. But yeah, it's a cool little tool. But yeah, Dremels you can use. I mean, you put a cutoff disc on it. You can cut, you know, like I said, bolts. I mean, you can cut anything with these things. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So I, I uh, tool of the week is a Dremel. Everybody's probably got one. If you don't have one, you should get one because they still make them. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's because other people use them other than yeah, That's right, right. Remember the cordless <laughs> ones? I yeah. Wish they, I don't know if they still make those or not, but I... I would think so. Well, the one I had finally, you know, the battery... Finally, could but even that was even more convenient because you didn't have to yeah. plug it in. You could, you know, take it wherever. Yeah, minor plug-in. Yeah, mine are too. But... Variable speed. Mm -hmm. I have one that's not variable speed, but the other ones. I are. don't use that very often. Oh, I do. The the wide open one. All of mine are variable speed. Oh, okay. I was gonna say I use the variable speed setting yeah, yeah, mine yeah. quite a bit. Oh yeah, but uh, I used to own one that was just on off, and I didn't like it. Yeah, I don't either. That's why it's sitting in a drawer. Yeah. yeah. So, so there you go. That's the tool of the week. The all Dremel. Right. Multi-tool or beautiful, moto tool. Beautiful tool. multi-tool or I don't moto know. tool? I mean, you, this was your tool of the week, so you I tell think me. It's, I think it's moto. I mm -hmm. think it's M-O-T-O hyphen tool, I think is what they're Could you called. spell that again? No. Okay. <laughs> all right. Anything else? No, that's all I got for this one. All right. Well, everybody, thanks for listening to us ramble. Yep. Uh, until next week, I'm Ron. I'm Tom. Good night. Good night. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the RC Plane Lab podcast. For topic suggestions, to ask questions, or to give any feedback, connect with us at rcplanelab.com or email us direct at either ron at rcplanelab.com or tom at rcplanelab.com. You can also text us or leave us a voicemail at 818-351-9846. Please subscribe, rate, and review us on your favorite podcast app. Until next time, may your landings be gentle.